0: Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. (coughs) And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. When we talk about a mystery, what we usually mean is an enigma that we cannot yet solve. Uh, some, some mystery, some enigma, some strange phenomenon or occurrence that we cannot yet explain. And so we sort of shrug our shoulders and throw up our hands and say, well, well, it, it's a mystery. Maybe we'll figure it out someday, but it's at this point a mystery. What happened to Malaysia flight 370? Uh, why did so many vessels disappear in the Bermuda Triangle. I was fascinated with that as a kid and used to read books about that. Why do galaxies have a central black hole in the middle of them? Does time exist? And if it does, what is it? Uh, What is light? What is dark energy? Where is antimatter? Or if you want something not from physics or from history, but from theology, How can God be one and three? These are all what we would call mysteries. We can't explain them to our our satisfaction. Now, in this section, Paul refers three times to the mystery. The mystery. And it doesn't seem that Paul is using that word like we usually use it and actually we'll find out that he's using it in quite a different way And it's a way that's used in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the mystery. And so we will find out today what the mystery is, and we will find that the mystery is the heart of God's message, and therefore Paul's message as he preached it to the nations. Now, as we think about this this verse 1 here, we find a transition here. Last week, if you heard last week's text, we learned that the Gentiles had been made co-heirs with the Jews, one body and so on. They had they had been united in one body to, uh, to the people of God with the Jews uh, in Christ. And having reflected on the, the former condition of the Gentiles, that they were far away, first we learned that they were dead and then made alive, and then we learned that they were far away and now brought near to God through Christ, Paul was moved to pray for the Gentiles, to pray for the nations. And so he begins his prayer in verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he cuts off right there. And he doesn't finish his sentence. He was going to start to pray. But he stopped. And he interrupted himself. I always used, I had a professor that used to drive some students crazy. And he would say, now where was I before I interrupted myself? And he was always interrupting himself. Well, Paul interrupts himself here with a new idea. And he didn't have a word processor, just like cut and paste or erase this. And he was was dictating this. And so he continued with this idea. He emphatically referred to himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Emphatic, I, Paul. And this idea of being a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, launched him into a, a digression, a parenthetical section here, which goes from verse 2 up to verse 13. Now, it's a good thing that he interrupted himself because we have a rich explanation here of the mystery of God. Now, if you, I, want to, I want you to do something. Look at verse 1 and then look at verse 14. And notice how this flows. Verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he picks it up in verse 14, and we'll get that next week. The prayer that he cuts off here doesn't yet start. We pick it up next week in verse 14. But today we get to look at this this parenthesis, this explanation of the mystery revealed and the mystery proclaimed. So the mystery revealed in verses 2 to 7. Paul describes here, he says, now you've heard. You see, he mentions his his imprisonment for the Gentiles. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship or the administration or the management of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, Paul had been absent from Ephesus for about seven years. He'd spent between two and three years there, but he'd been absent for about seven years, five of which he spent as a prisoner. And so he had not had personal contact with them, Uh, But they'd heard about his situation and they'd heard about his stewardship, his administration that God had given to him. Now, he refers to this administration that God had given him as God's grace. Now, we've already seen God's grace show up in chapter two. uh, And before that, God's grace up to this point has been God's grace towards sinners, his favor towards sinners in saving sinners, not by works, but by his favor, his mercy through Jesus Christ. But here Paul reflects on God's grace, his favor to Paul in making him a steward, an administrator, a a manager uh, for the sake of the Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And if you look at verse seven, he says there of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace grace which was given me by the working of his power so we have two manifestations of grace we have the manifestation of grace to sinners who believe in jesus and are saved through faith by grace through faith and now we have this manifestation of god's favor to paul as a minister of the gospel this was a gift to paul and he never got over this fact that god had, had gifted him had graced him had favored him by making him a minister of the gospel how did that happen verse 3 and here he mentions mystery for the first time not the first time in this letter but the first time in this section how the mystery was made known to me by revelation now he doesn't spell out what that revelation was or when that happened but if we put this together with the book of acts we can understand that that christ (laughs) revealed himself to paul on the road to damascus as paul was going to persecute christians in in Damascus Jesus stopped him in his tracks blinded him knocked him to the ground and revealed himself to Paul and there in that revelation he he revealed to him the mystery the mystery now he says i've written briefly about this mystery verse 3 how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as i have written briefly now the scholars are racking their brains about when did he write briefly about this well A lot of places he wrote briefly about this. Read any of his letters he's written about this. Read Ephesians up to this point, and he's written about this briefly. Now he says, what I want you to do is really, really understand my understanding of this mystery. Verse 4, when you read this, that is this right here, what we're looking at today. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And then we get to verse 5. And this verse 5 is is key in understanding what a biblical mystery is. It is not an unexplained enigma. It is, as he says here, verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is as close as we get as a biblical definition to mystery in the Bible. Something that... Was not revealed in the past and now is revealed. So, in other words, it's no longer in our terms what? A mystery. Right? It's no longer mysterious in our language because it's been revealed. It has been shown, but it was not revealed in the past and now has been revealed. And he said it was revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit, to two groups in particular. And we've met these groups already. The Apostles and the prophets. And we met these groups in chapter one as foundational ministers for the church, that God established foundational ministers, apostles and prophets, and the church was built on the teaching that they gave to the church and took out to the nations. But what is that? It's the mystery of Christ, the mystery about Christ. Well, what is the mystery? Well, verse six, this is the mystery. This mystery that was not made known and then was made known and now is an open secret, if you will. No longer a secret. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And, And Paul here used the same prefix three times, and he's done this already once. And the prefix in English would be something like co. So the mystery is that the nations are co-heirs, co-body, and co-partakers of the promise. But he doesn't say co with whom. But we already know by this point that they're co-heirs, co-body, and co-partakers of the promise made to Israel, made to the Jews. And so we are co-with the Jews. Now, the newness of this revelation is not that God was going to do something with the nations. You can go back to Genesis, the first chapters of Genesis, and find that God was going to do something with the nations. There are intimations, there are suggestions of that. We read Psalm 67, uh, which is an inclusive psalm talking about the nations. And, and, and throughout the prophets, it's, it's, it, the nations are talked about and God was going to do something with the nations. And sometimes what he promised to do with the nation was to crush them into powder. Uh, other times they would have some sort of a participation in his salvation, but it looked like they would be kind of coming in the back door, that they would be somehow connected to Israel as a second class sort of participants. So the fact that, that God was going to do something with the nations, either crushing them or letting them in the back door, as it were, as underclass to to the, the people of Israel, well, we find here that no, it's actually not like that. He had another plan that was not revealed clearly in the Old Testament, but now is revealed to the, the apostles and the prophets and revealed now to the world. And it's this, that the nations are co-equal with the Jews in one body that's the mystery that is now revealed. And how did that happen? Let's go back to verses five and six. In verses five and six, Paul used that same prefix, co. He says here, uh, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he co-made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and co-raised us up with him and co-seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we have co-co-co, and then co-co-co. He says he co-made us alive. He co-raised us up. He co-seated us with Christ. He did that for Jews and Gentiles. And so the result of that is that if we have both Jews and Gentiles in Christ been co-made alive, co-raised up, co-seated with Christ in the heavenly places then we are co-heirs, we are co-one body, and we are co-partakers of the same promises that were given to the people of Israel. That's the, that's the revelation. That's the mystery that's no longer uh, un, uh, covered up, but rather revealed. And amazing, as amazing as that is, Paul marveled at that, He marveled at the fact that that God would do that for the nations. But then he also never got over his marvel that God would call him. That God would call him to preach that to the nations. Verse eight of this gospel, I was made. Verse seven of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And then he said to me. To me. To me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, last week, was it last week? Yes, last week we saw Paul said to the Gentiles, remember your former condition." You were without hope. You were without God. You were excluded. You were alienated from the covenant. Remember how far off you were. And God has brought you near. Never forget how far you were. So you never cease marveling at how close God has brought you. But not only did, not only did Paul want the Gentiles, the nations, to remember how far away they were. He never forgot how far away he was. In his time as a persecutor of the church. He, he reflects on this not infrequently in, in his writing. If you look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's relating the resurrection of Christ. And he appeared to, to Peter. And he appealed to the twelve. He appeared to 500 brothers at one time. And then he said in verse 7. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And then verse 8. Last of all. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. In 1 Timothy, he holds himself up as exhibit A for the grace of God. You you want to know how great the grace of God is? Paul says, look at me. You want an example of how 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 far God's grace can reach? Look at me. I am an example. I am the example, the, the chief example in in verse 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus our lord of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. Do you see the way that argument goes? If God could save me, He can save anyone. Anyone. Why? Because I was the worst sinner. I was a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of Jesus Christ. Just like salvation, Paul says, my ministry is a grace. It is a favor toward a sinner. And all of us who are ministers of the gospel, in some way or another, we understand this, or we should understand this anyway, that this is an a, a anti-deserved favor that God would choose me to, to preach his word is is a, is a an astounding example of his grace now in in choosing Paul for this ministry his his grace was particularly evident in verse verse 9 he says he he back to our text in chapter 3 of Ephesians and he he chose me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Um, the, um, the purpose of Paul's ministry, his administration had two purposes, really. He mentions them both here. Verse 8, the first purpose is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul's ministry, Paul's administration, Paul's management, what was it? Usually when you have a manager, it means you have some property to manage, right? And that's what Paul was saying. He's made me a manager, an administrator, because there are some riches to manage here. And actually, uh, this is one of Paul's favorite, favorite uh, words in Ephesians, riches. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 7, "...in him we have redemption through his blood." The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Uh, Chapter one, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And here in chapter two, verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Uh, also chapter 2 verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace here in, in our text the unsearchable riches of christ next week that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit riches 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 he says this is what i'm to preach to the nations the riches of god's grace that's my administration that's my management and in addition to that to bring to light the Creator's mystery to everyone. Notice how he describes this mystery. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. That's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? Where was this mystery all that time? Where was it hiding? And Paul says it was hiding in God. That's why nobody could search it out because it was in God and nobody could pry it out of Him. And, and there were no leaks, as it were. Throughout the ages of this, this, this knowledge, it was hidden in God and now it has been made known. And it's my job to enlighten everyone about this mystery of God who created all things. And he had this mystery that he revealed in the fullness of time. The further purpose is in verse 10. So Paul's purpose uh, is to manage the riches by preaching them to the nations and to... To bring to light the Creator's mystery to everyone, but there's a further purpose that God has, and it's in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, once again, this is this is an idea we, we've we've seen in Ephesians. The idea that, that there are There are spectators to this divine drama, this divine revelation of this mystery in in the apostles and the prophets, and now through the church to everyone. And who are those spectators? Well, they are the, the rulers. They are the authorities in the heavenly places. They are every rank and range of of intelligent being that god has created that now live and reign and rule in the heavenly realms and he's referred to these more than once here in ephesians and we don't know what all these ranks are if you want to find out well in medieval ages they have very very specific catalogs of who all these are and and how they relate to each other we don't have all that information but but we know that there are there are many powers out there and they're described here and they're the onlookers we are part of the actors and they're the onlookers. And, and, and Paul's idea here or Paul's description here is that what God is doing is God is placing the church at center stage, Jew and Gentile co-heirs, one body, co-partakers in the promises given to the Israel. And he has placed the, the church on center stage and says to these powers, do you want to know do you want to know what's been hidden in me throughout all of eternity and i've now revealed look at this and you will see what my plan is and he says this is the eternal plan look at verse 11 this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in christ jesus our lord so he's saying to the all these powers this is my eternal purpose this is what i'm all about this is my plan for this universe." Look at the church and look at these Jews and Gentiles who are united in one body through Jesus Christ. Now, as I say, we don't know who all these creatures are, these creatures, but it looks like it includes both those who worship God and those who oppose God. And so this is a lesson to both of them, to both of those groups the rebellious creatures, the rebellious heavenly beings, and the, the submissive heavenly beings. It's a message to both of them It is to say, this is what I'm doing. So to this group, beware. Your doom is near because this is what I'm doing in the world. And to the others, rejoice because now I have revealed through the church what I am doing in the universe. Take note. Now, they will be amazed at this They will be amazed. Um, You you might say, that's it? That's going to impress these heavenly beings? As powerful and mighty as they are, that's going to impress them that that Jews and the nations are are co-heirs, co-equals in one body? Yes, it will. And if we think about who those creatures are, some of their characteristics, we'll see why they will be amazed. God has not made the heavenly beings, one body. They are divided, and as far as we can tell, eternally divided between those who oppose God and those who worship God. He has not brought them together in Christ. Uh, the, 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 these, these heavenly beings are not the ones who are commissioned with the message uh, for the universe. He's given that message to humans, not To them, he's given it to us. And in addition to that, he has not given them the same confident access to God that we have through faith in Christ. Look at verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And these angels and and cherubim and demons and whatever they might be, these, these, these world powers that might be, They don't have the access that we have because we have been brought near through Jesus Christ. They are the spectators. They are the ones who stand back and applaud or gnash their teeth. Peter says this, angels long to look into these things and now they are revealed. And where are they revealed? We may not think of ourselves as being a big deal. And in and of ourselves, we aren't. But they are revealed in the church. The church is center stage for these heavenly beings to look and say, ah, so that's what's been hidden in God all throughout eternity. And that's what he's revealing now. At the end, Paul comes back to kind of a, a very practical manner. After, after soaring through the heavenly places, Now he gets back to where we live. And what happens where we live? We get discouraged. He's taken us on a tour through the heavenly places. And now the rubber meets the road back where we are in this life and this veil of tears. And he says, so I ask you not to lose heart. Not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you over what I am suffering on your behalf. Now, we should ask ourselves, why would they be losing heart? Well, maybe because the contrast is so great. Paul has just said, God has made me a a steward, a manager of the mystery of God that He's revealed now through the church. And for five of these last seven years since I've seen you, I've been languishing in prison. What? This contrast is so great. You're the you're one of the the apostles. You're one of the, the the chief spokesman of this mystery, the riches of Christ. And there you are, suffering in a Roman imprisonment. Paul, that doesn't work for us. How does that? line up how does that check well paul says don't lose heart but where i'm suffering for you we look around we read church history we look around the world today and we see christians in that same sort of situation we we see them suffering for their faithful testimony about jesus and we, we can lose heart and we can look at that and say that doesn't check with this, this magnificent manifestation of god's mystery revealed in christ and and his people Keeps suffering all over the globe. And, and they who are suffering, it might be easy for them to lose heart. But what does Paul say here? Paul says, my suffering is your glory. My suffering is your glory. How can his suffering be their glory? Well, we have a little suggestion here in the, in the kind of unusual language he uses, the, the, the kind of surprising preposition he uses here in verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles in the place of you Gentiles. And then he says in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering. And once again, here it says for you, it's the same preposition on behalf of you in the place of you. And, and, and this is language that's often associated when you have the idea of suffering in the place of another it's language that that shows up through the new testament about jesus and what he did that he suffered not not vaguely for his people he suffered on behalf of he suffered in the place of and paul says i am i am i'm am getting to experience something of that for you I am getting to experience something of that same sort of experience of of suffering myself on behalf of you. And he says in Philippians, share in Christ's suffering. But that's That's a grace to be so associated with Christ that I get to share in that suffering on behalf of you. And he says, that is your glory. What's he saying here? He's saying that Not only is the cross of Christ our glory, but so is all the suffering of all the faithful apostles and prophets and missionaries and ministers and pastors and saints who have gone before us to get the gospel to us. Do you know? Do you know how many people died so that we could have this Bible in our own language and in our hands? Do you know how many people have? have suffered and died so that the gospel would get to us. I don't know either, but I'm sure it's not a few. And they are our glory. Because not only did Christ suffer on our behalf, in our place, they suffered on our behalf, in our place, so that the gospel would get to us. And you see, we have that same opportunity. If we are likewise faithful, whatever we might suffer in privation or in, 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 in physical suffering or whatever it might be to get the gospel to others is their glory. Think about if you're a believer in Christ. Think about how the gospel got to you. You cannot think about coming to Christ without thinking about the persons who told you about Jesus. They are your glory. In many cases, they may be your parents. Praise be to God for parents like that. You cannot think of coming to faith in Christ without saying, my parents told me about Jesus. They are my glory. Or in my case, it may be be a question of friends. Or, or pastors I cannot think of coming to Jesus without thinking about those people and, and having a smile on my face when I tell you the story they are my glory because they brought the gospel to me maybe it was directly through the word of God maybe you were reading the word of God and God grabbed hold of you and you were reading in the, the gospel of John or you were reading in Ephesians or you were reading in wherever it might be and forever and ever, that author will be your glory. You can't think of coming to Christ without saying, the Apostle John brought me to Christ, or Paul brought me to Christ, or Peter brought me to Christ. He is my glory. You see how this works? It's just don't be discouraged, folks. What I'm suffering for you, Paul says, actually, it's a, it's a gift to me, and it's a glory to you. And we have that same privilege to be a glory to others by doing whatever it takes to get this mystery to them so that they might be enlightened with this mystery that was hidden for all the ages in God and now is revealed through Jesus Christ and in the church. Let's pray. Our God, we we thank you for the faithful who got the gospel to us, got the word of God to us, whose names don't ever appear anywhere in church history, but they're recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. And they are our glory. And I pray that you would make us the glory of others. They would not be able to think about Jesus and coming to faith in Him without remembering that someone got the gospel to them. Lord, I pray for Your suffering saints that they would not lose heart as You display before the heavenly beings the riches of Your grace in in, in people like us. And I pray, Father, that You would Give us the grace to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to our neighbor, both near and far. We pray this in Christ's name.